0: Welcome to ISOChat's Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament Lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. During the COVID-19 isolation, I chatted with lots of my friends and colleagues here at Moore about theology, Christian life and ministry. It's the kind of discussion we'd normally have over morning tea, but the topics are highly relevant to life in a changing world. So I wanted to let you listen in. Enjoy! part three of a wide-ranging chat that I had with my Old Testament colleague Chris Thompson about the meaning of righteousness and justification in the Bible. In the first part, we saw that righteousness is essentially a moral quality. It means being right or good as opposed to being wrong or bad. In the second part, we looked at justification. We saw that justification is about finding in a person's favour on the basis of their moral quality of righteousness. Justification can happen either because a person is actually righteous, or because they've been credited as being righteous, even though they actually aren't. In the third part, we talk about how getting the meaning of those words, righteousness and justification, right, really helps us to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about in his letter to the Romans. Uh, we look at the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And we think about, well, what could it mean that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us? And why is that so important for us and our assurance as Christians? Enjoy. The, the, the next question then is um, the, the idea, well, how can, how can God do this? We, we've got that Jesus has died for our sins. We have the atonement there. Uh, but there's this idea of crediting a moral quality to a person who doesn't have that moral quality within them. Yeah. Uh, so for, for me, when it comes to my, my status before God at the, the end of uh, time, I, I don't have that full moral quality. Maybe in my, in my life as I, as I live, God, God may will, God willing by his spirit, um, do things in me to, to graciously make me uh, a better person. But that's not what we're talking about when it comes to justification. Uh, I don't have that moral quality of righteousness, and yet God credits me with that moral quality of righteousness, Uh, Mm. and there's a a crediting going on here. Um, That comes into some of the the debates that are being had by New Testament scholars, or perhaps not even so much of a debate anymore, over what what the righteousness of God is, uh, in, in Romans in particular, and also, what uh, whether where imputation uh, of, of righteousness is as is, is a meaningful way of talking about these things? Yeah. Uh, so the first uh, issue that's often raised is this question: of What is the righteousness of God? Uh, and that's yeah. mentioned back in uh, Romans chapter one, right at the beginning. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, Romans chapter one, verse seventeen, um, and then. In the second half of the verse, it's uh, the one who is righteous by faith will, will live. Uh, and it's going back to Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And, um, but the, the um, reformers understood that verse to mean, and, and Luther, for Luther, it was, it was radically uh, life-changing when he understood that the righteousness of God, therefore, is not the justice of God. That is, he, we're not talking about here God giving to each person what is due to him. Uh, or his his just his his God's quality of justice, but rather um, a righteousness that God grants to us. it's it's a, a genitive of source, I guess, uh, the righteousness right. from God that we're we given. Uh, and the it's interesting that that both of those options that Luther had in his mind, uh, just both both of them are possible given the meaning of the word righteousness. So the righteousness of God could be the quality of God doing what is right, morally right, being just, um, or it could be righteousness given to us by, by God in some way. Uh, but in modern New Testament studies, uh, many people are saying, well, well, the word righteousness actually means something like salvation, or it means it's, it's, it's like a, a verbal noun that means God making things right or rectifying the situation or bringing about mm-hmm. his salvation. Yeah. Uh, the way they do that is they say, well, when you look at, at the word righteousness, especially when it comes to God and say, especially in Isaiah and the Psalms, uh, you see that God's righteousness, uh, they'll say, is often used in parallel with God's salvation. So effectively they mean the same kind of thing, that God is a, a, a saving God who. who who rescues his people, yes, from their sin and from judgment uh, and and various things and from their enemies in particular in Isaiah. And so you Mm -hmm. see that expressed sometimes as salvation and sometimes as God's righteousness. Uh, And um, then that is used in Roman scholarship and New Testament scholarship to say, well, so so actually these these questions about um, us receiving righteousness from God or this idea that we need a righteousness that we don't have, That's all too human, and 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 it's all about us. So this is this is about God just saving. So He'll save, and He'll forgive, and He'll do what is what is right in that sense by saving. And so actually, the the problem isn't so big. Paul's more similar to his Old Testament, uh, or sorry, more more similar to his Jewish contemporaries than we might otherwise think. He's basically just saying that the righteousness of God is the salvation of God is the, the saving work of God, the salvific activity of God. They're all basically synonyms. I think I've, yeah. I've summarized that. Um, and that actually also feeds into questions about imputation, but that's that's, a, that's further down the track. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts um, are that as I've been talking to you, um, and also I've thought of this before beforehand, uh, and I've read uh, works by people like Lee Irons, who's looked at this uh, question, uh, and just as I read the Old Testament, um, and I'm interested in your thoughts too, but my thoughts are that, number one, just because two terms appear in parallel doesn't mean that they're synonyms. Um, so the the illustration I've used with students uh, is um, that uh, often you see the word salt and pepper used in parallel uh, in uh, context of the kitchen. Uh, but you know if if you think that salt and pepper are basically the same thing, don't ask me to cook a meal for you. Um, they are different. Uh, and there is there are things that, that there's a distinction between righteousness god's righteousness and god's salvation in Isaiah and the psalms uh, mm. that, that mean that they're not the same thing god's salvation is him rescuing people from danger from their enemies from from judgment from sin uh, from whatever there is is they're in danger with That's salvation uh, righteousness has more to do with him judging justly judging the enemies Uh uh, judging, judging the people's, uh, yeah, d- judging, sorry, d- yeah, d- doing what is right, maybe bringing about a right situation where um, yep. human beings are sinful and they are not. So Isaiah 59, for example, human beings are, there's no one righteous, there is no no one who's, who's upright, but God is the one who's righteous. So he's going to be establishing this whole new situation where things are right and good and fair and just. And he's going to do that by saving his people. Uh, that's my thought.
1: But what, what uh correct me or, or tell me if that what, what no, no. Well, there's there's a lot um there's a lot to say. Um I mean I think the, the first thing is um the expression dekar as you said, um, it that that genitive construction, so righteousness of God, the genitive construction in Greek can have a wide range of meanings. And mm-hmm. Um, and one of those meanings is this sense from something's called the ablative sense and I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we translate we think that righteousness of God is a literal translation mm. and I think the trouble is that the English expression righteousness of God implies a quality belonging to God but um uh the in Greek we don't actually have a separate ablative um, case, so. Um, listeners or viewers who know Latin, we know that Latin has an ablative that, that you use when you're expressing the idea of from something. Mm. And in Greek, the, all those functions are captured by the, the genitive. And so- um, let, me, let me express that
0: maybe um, for, for people who, who don't know Greek or Hebrew. Basically, very often when you see the word of, a word translated of in English, mm. you could quite as easily
1: translate that as from, depending on the context. So of and from mm. could be either, because it's a thing of yeah, the genitive, exactly and i think it's really important that we don't come with a presupposition i think translations especially sometimes if you have a literal translation i mean translators have to do some interpretation but we shouldn't think that the translation righteousness of god is more neutral than the translation righteousness from god so you're you're really asking with any genitive construction with any of those kind of, of constructions what's the relationship between those two words what's the relationship between righteousness and god and as i read um romans I think the natural reading, because of what Paul goes on to say, is that the righteousness he's talking about is a righteousness that that, that belongs to um, a person. Because he goes on to say, um, um, you know, for the, the righteousness of God or from God, um, in the gospel is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous, from faith will live or the righteous will live from faith. And so it seems to me the righteousness there is the righteousness of the, the believing person. Now that's, that's obviously debated. Um, but I think that fits with this idea that there's a righteousness that God credits in Romans four. So that's how I'm reading Paul. And so I think, um, the righteousness of God in, in Romans three, it might be used in a couple of different ways, but in, in Romans one, I think it's righteousness from God. The reason why, um, uh, a lot of people take a different view is because they 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 go back, as you say, to passages like Isaiah 56 or Psalm 98. It's very striking to me that Paul does not say in Romans 1, 16 and 17, that a righteousness of God, sorry, in Romans 1, 17, he doesn't say a righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel um, just as it is written. And then quote uh, Psalm 98, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his Righteousness. He doesn't say, a uh, righteousness is revealed in the gospel, just as it is written, Isaiah 56, soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. He goes to Habakkuk 2.4. Why does he go to Habakkuk 2.4? Um, why does he go to Psalm 32 later on? Why does he go to Genesis 15? These are all verses that have to do with people being credited righteousness. Hmm. So I think that's really significant. That Those passages, Isaiah 56, Psalm 98, they may or may not be in the background in Paul's mind. Uh, some people say, well, he uses the word revealed in combination with righteousness, and revealing righteousness takes you back to those verses. But I think as someone as versed in the Old Testament scriptures as Paul was, it might be that phrases like, a righteousness is revealed, they might just be tripping off his, his, his mind without necessarily wanting to make a conscious connection. But even if he's making a connection, the fact that he doesn't quote those verses suggests they're not the the first verses we should go to to understand that phrase. Mm, The second thing I would say is that um, the phrase righteousness of God never occurs in the Old Testament. Um, It it, it does occur in, uh, not in the form that Tom Wright quotes it, but it does occur in um, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls in a slightly different form. But for Tom Wright it's it's really important that this was a technical term, righteousness of God. he actually back translates it into Hebrew. So he says that this Greek phrase dikar he says this is um, actually a well-known Hebrew phrase from the time of Paul, Elohim. Now zedakah Elohim is not even grammatical Hebrew, unfortunately. Elohim uh, to express that genitive construction we were talking about, you have to use something in Hebrew called the construct state. But in three different books, um, Tom Wright uses this phrase, which suggests to me, um, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound finickety. It's, it's basic first year Hebrew, but it does suggest that his work hasn't had the kind of scrutiny from Old Testament scholars that would, um, you know, mean that if he said that in one place, he wouldn't say it again and again. Um, so we don't find the phrase righteousness of God in the Old Testament. We do find um, phrases with words him and my referring to God. So my righteousness or his righteousness. And um, I I think there may be a kind of contextual meaning there that um, isn't one of the core meanings of the word. Um, When I did my dissertation on Isaiah, one of the reasons for picking Isaiah is in chapters 40 onwards, um, people have observed, you get the word righteousness used in a different sense. So broadly speaking, people say in Isaiah 1 to 39, zedek and zakat are used to in that moral sense that we talked about before in isaiah 40 to 55 people talk about the salvific sense and then they say in, in isaiah 56 1 um both senses come together and i was interested to to look at isaiah and say when you actually um work through the book um and and you you read the book um with the background of the the general meaning of the words And then the context of Isaiah, does it force you to to see a Sabbathic meaning? Um, And my conclusion was not necessarily. It's something I want to come back to. Mm. I think what you see in Isaiah is in Isaiah chapter one, you've got this situation where the holy city, Jerusalem, has become a godless city. Mm. But there's this promise even there right back at the beginning of the, the book that God is going to do something that is going to make it once again a righteous city. So there's this idea that God is going to do something, that, that, um, that this city where there's, there's, there's murder and there's wickedness is going to become a city where righteousness dwells, where people do what's right and just and so on. Mm. And I wonder, and this is something I want to follow through and, and explore more, but I wonder whether um, when God says that he's revealing his salvation and revealing his righteousness, what he's revealing is actually that situation where Righteousness is restored to his people. Mm. Um, Or it may be that he's talking about the situation where, um, you know, he's he's going to do the right thing when he comes to save. So um, a bit different from salt and pepper, often Hebrew parallelism, um, you, you get the same thing being said, but in two different ways. It might be that God's salvation and God's righteousness are referring to the same event but referring to them in different ways. So the event in which God comes to save might also be the event in which God does what's right. Mm. So there, Mm. there are different ways that you could explain it. But when you, you look at the meaning of the words um, outside of uh, Isaiah uh, and that second half of Isaiah and outside of a few, very few places in Psalms um, elsewhere, it doesn't have the meaning salvation. Mm. And, um, stuck does take on a different meaning in post-biblical hebrew um but that meaning is is something like kindness generosity it's not salvation mm. uh, later almsgiving you use the word stuck for arms giving mm. and um so the, the word is on a, a sort of a, a kind of trajectory but salvation doesn't seem to be a big part of it and i think probably what's going on is something more to do with the literary usage where the word is being used in a sort of uh, a somewhat unusual way in a particular context to make a point related to that context, rather than it being kind of one of the dictionary meanings of the word being salvation. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's possible then that when you come to the new Testament, that idea of God saving or God putting the world to rights, whatever you call it is in the background. But I think you'd have to, you'd have to ascertain that by reading Paul and what Paul is saying when he uses that language. And I just don't read him that way
0: yeah so as you're saying so isaiah is very big and isaiah 40 and following is very big especially for paul in romans but so so that's that weights us towards maybe making more of it but at the same time as you pointed out when paul actually explains himself um straight away in romans chapter 1 verse 17 in the second half of the verse he's not quoting isaiah he's quoting the idea of a person who is righteous uh and that does make sense of chapter 4 where we're talking about the idea of crediting righteousness, where God credits uh, righteousness or uh, credits faith as yeah. um, it counts. Oh, do, as you think, mm. yeah. do, you, do you think uh, in the light of that,
1: that quote from Habakkuk, do we need to modify what we were saying earlier, that a righteous person is always a person who is morally right? If, if Paul is saying on the basis of Habakkuk that you, there's, a, there's a righteousness that you can have by faith, is the word dikaios elsewhere used to refer to a person that possesses that righteousness that's kind of given to them?
0: Ah, that is a, that's, that's a fascinating question. Um, and it's a question in, so in, I guess it's a question as to what's, what's going on in, in Habakkuk. So I had all, I would have said, maybe before we had this discussion and we're thinking about the sort of the, the, the norms or the relationship or whatever, I would have said that at least on a, on, on a straightforward reading of, of Habakkuk, what um, is what is being said is that uh, the one who is righteous, i.e. the one who is you know, following the particular norm that we have in mind at the moment, and that is the, the norm uh, that actually has to do with the relationship with God and they're, they're together. But um, in this context, in this situation, the righteous person is the one who puts his trust in the promises uh, that God is making in the face of disaster and exile and, and um, all mm. the things that Habakkuk is, is seeing. Um, which is what's going on in, uh, there. So he's righteous in that sense, not in the sense of, uh, of you know, complete per- perfection or, or full moral perfection, but there's still a moral component to it. That, that is, mm-hmm. this is what the righteous person will do and the unrighteous person will do wrong and will not trust in God. Uh, but Paul is actually taking that and saying uh, that actually in terms of the witness of the whole of uh, the Old Testament, uh, of which Habakkuk, is a, this verse is a, is a crystallization, uh, that actually it's, it's saying something more than perhaps you might have thought Habakkuk was saying uh, because uh, many of Paul's contemporaries read Habakkuk 2.4 to mean, well, my righteous one by faith uh, will live. That is the righteous one who does the law. You know, the, you, you, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll, keep, you'll trust God by doing the right thing. Um, and Paul's saying, but no, actually, in, in light of the whole witness of the Old Testament, there's actually something more here uh, and so it's actually this righteousness from God, this this righteousness that God grants, that is given to a person, and that is that comes through faith, uh, and it is not coming through works. Uh, and so he's interpreting Habakkuk two four in a way that is a little bit radical in his time, uh, but is is still understandable in terms of the witness of yeah. Habakkuk. I think that's that's probably where I'd still be actually
1: at this point. Uh, yeah yeah which which makes sense so you can say that um that that righteousness is a, a status that you possess because you've received the righteousness that's credited to you by faith mm. and therefore you can say that in a sense christians are righteous mm. uh we, we possess righteousness mm. um but but we don't start with that when we're working our way through the theology. We, start, we need to start with the basic meaning as being a moral meaning. Mm. And then mm. it comes ours by faith. Yes. I think that's, yes. That's, that's really important. The other, the, other thing I think, yeah. the other thing perhaps worth saying, because you, you, you raised this question, we've been talking about Romans, um, the idea of how is it just for God to justify the ungodly and so on. I think another key concept that we haven't talked about and probably probably don't have time to talk about, but it's worth mentioning is the concept of union with Christ. Yes. And so Paul in, in Philippians about Christ, three. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. yeah. Well Paul in, in Philippians three, you know, he talks about not having a righteousness of his own, but having a he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness that comes that there's his own that comes through the law, but having the righteousness that comes from him. Mm. Um, yeah. and I think that there's that idea that um, that 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 when we become christians we're united with jesus in such a way that that what's his becomes ours and what's ours becomes his and and he bears our sin but we also receive righteousness from him as part of that union Mm. um and therefore the the righteousness that i have it's not it's not stuff that's being passed around but it's actually jesus's righteousness that god um sees me in christ as righteous
0: Oh, no, I think in fact that's what I was going to say as well. That's a, that's the, the the place to go. I mentioned previously, and we don't have to, to, we don't maybe don't have time to go into all the details, but I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, imputation, uh, and uh, that's um, a word that's it's a bit of a dirty word at the moment, especially in New Testament scholarship, uh, mm-hmm. where you know, it's almost as if no one believes it. But um, part of the reason that that no one likes to use the word imputation is because it's. Often used today in certain circles, uh, almost as a in opposition to the idea of union with Christ, uh, as if you know you you either you either understand what's going on in terms of well we're united with Christ and so because of that we can participate in Him and be saved, or you understand in terms of imputation, which is seen as this legal fiction or or, or, or something, and so we reject it. But the the the, the reformers uh, Luther and Calvin in particular. And Melanchthon less so, uh, and I'm getting this uh, from from my reading and then crystallised particularly through Stephen Chester's uh, book, Reading Paul with the Reformers. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. point was exactly what you said, that that is, when we we have Christ, when we're in Christ, when we have that union with Christ, we have all that Christ possesses, uh, Mm -hmm. including and especially his righteousness. And because we have Christ's righteousness, uh, that... Indeed, is why when God justifies us, He is not unjust uh, because He gives us that status of uh, justification uh, on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Uh, and that goes back to Isaiah 53 as well. And how can He do that? Not because Christ is out there and there's a legal fiction where God's just sitting there with, it, with His books, His accounts, and He's going, I'm going to cross that one out and I'm going to chalk that one up to. To, to sinners, uh, but it's actually because we're in Christ. We have uh, we have that, and that's what the reformers meant by the word imputation. Um, mm-hmm. And then Melanchthon used the word imputation, but didn't use the word the, the concept of union with Christ as much. Uh, and I think that's led to people thinking that there's this some opposition between union with Christ and imputation, uh,
1: right.
0: and in certain circles. But but that's certainly not the view the view of the reformers. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing to say is that the reason that the idea of imputation of Christ's righteousness uh, to us, that is, God imputes his righteousness to us, that is, instead of it being our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness that God uh, takes into account. Um, the reason that that is often today said to be um, not, uh, not something that, that Paul teaches or the New Testament teaches at all is for two reasons. Number one, Paul never uses the phrase the imputation of Christ's righteousness uh, and you, know, you go, okay. Well, there, there's that's that's a piece of evidence, but of course, there's lots of phrases he doesn't use um, mm-hmm. that uh, summarise his teaching. But the second reason is that people don't see the need for the imputation of Christ's righteousness because mm-hmm. they say, well, God can just forgive us, He can just save us. Uh, why do we need any righteousness? You know, justification mm-hmm. is just God can just forgive us, um, but. The, that actually does not take into account the meaning of the words. Uh, and if we take into account Paul's argument based on the meaning of the words that he's been using, he's been deliberately using these words, justification and righteousness, then we actually start to say, well, we, we need the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Um, mm. Otherwise, it's got to be our righteousness. And, uh, and that, that, that was why the Reformers were so big on imputation. Uh, in in uh, especially Calvin, uh, not because he didn't believe in union with Christ, but precisely because he did believe in union with Christ, uh, yeah. and he didn't change the meaning of the words, or he he actually had a very good understanding of the meaning of those words, uh, and didn't uh, follow modern New Testament scholars who are making all sorts of other claims about the meaning of the words uh, today. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't use the language of Christ's righteousness being imputed, but he uses the language of crediting righteousness and and credit and impute are really that they're different English words for the same same Greek or Hebrew word that we've been talking about all all along. So we get that idea of God imputing righteousness to those who um, don't have it in and of themselves and we also get the idea that in christ there is a righteousness from god philippians 3 and so putting two and two together it makes sense to see that the righteousness that god is imputing to us is that same righteousness that is found in christ it's his righteousness and and that the the um isaiah 53 and that idea that bearing sins has as its counterpart making righteous fits Mm -hmm. together i think it's what paul's saying i know this is debated but in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, it seems to me that parallelism there is, is exactly the same idea. It's it's obviously figurative language. Christ didn't become sin. And I know some people would take that as a sin offering, but I think the idea is that it's, he took on our sin um, and he received the penalty for our sin. And then we took on his righteousness. It's it's figurative, it's as though we we become his righteousness and are judged accordingly. Mm, mm, um, yeah. and I even wonder, I'd be interested in your view on this. I mean, if, if what I'm saying is right about the hiphil in Isaiah 53, meaning to cause to be justified, mm. could it be that in um, in Paul's theology of justification that um, the verb dikaio'o is not only used to express what God does as as Judge in saying, "Okay, Lana Windsor, you can, you know, you're you're acquitted of your sins. You're you're forgiven." Could it also be used for the process of um, sending Jesus, counting us as part of His people in Jesus, and um, counting us? You know, could it be to do with the whole process of bringing about our righteousness? Or do you think "diakito" in Greek always has that forensic? sense that um that we were saying is mainly house use in hebrew Mm. um
0: i might have to take i I, that's something i really want to think about uh could i answer now i think um mm, maybe i'll just i'll just i know clarify the question a little by Mm. by discussing some of the debates that are being had in systematic theology that are related to theology and that is what is the relationship between union with Christ and justification? Mm. Uh, So the reformers held them together, uh, but in slightly different ways, depending on which reformer you're talking about. Uh, Mm. So is, 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 for example, is justification the basis for union with Christ or is union with Christ the basis for justification? Uh, I'd I'd say theologically it's the latter, that union with Christ Mm. is the basis for justification. But where does justification fit within that? And there are some who would say, well, you've got union with Christ is the key thing. And then you've got, it's like a, a bucket. And in that bucket of union with Christ, you've got various things like justification is one of those things and sanctification, God God making us righteous in our lives is another mm-hmm. one of those things. And, and we get all those benefits, including justification. Uh, and others would say, well, no, there's within that, within union with Christ, there is actually an order. There's something that is really generative there and that is justification. And there is an order mm-hmm. within union with Christ. And so um, yeah, even though... Union with Christ is that blanket uh, term uh, term of reality. Uh, we, we we have Christ, we receive him by faith. Justification is is the, uh, it's, it's not just the beginning of our Christian lives, it's true for our entire Christian lives, but there is a priority to it. It is something logically before the others within union with Christ. I think that's where I would be. Um, that's related to your question, though it's not precisely that, that, that question, but there's, there's a sense in which does justification can that encompass um, that sense in which God is actually bringing Christ to us, mm. such that we receive that righteousness and thereby that that just status? Uh, mm. So it's more than more than say, for example, we're united with Christ. Okay, that's good. And then God looks at us and goes oh, you have Christ's righteousness. So therefore, I declare that you're, you're justified. Uh, there's more to it yeah. than that. Actually, justification is more closely related to, to union with Christ than that. Mm. Uh, and I think there's really something to that. But I, I think I've reached um, the end of my um, ability to talk about these things now. or to, Yeah. yeah. For this long conversation, which I've really yeah. enjoyed. Yeah,
1: I mean, it probably relates somewhat to, to two possible senses in which we understand the word credit, that, that credit can mean You know, I was talking about the accounting metaphor and it it Mm -hmm. can mean that you, you know, you actually put something in the accounts as a credit, but it can also mean that you sort of note what's already in the accounts and the Hebrew verb can be used both ways. Mm. Um, And I think that, that, you know, when we talk about imputation, uh, you know, is it that that God is just saying what's already the case? Um, You know, is he imputing to us what is in fact already ours or is he actually, you know, changing the account to both of both those things encompassed it so you know there's a sort of two stage thing and, and i guess what i'm asking is you know do we think that maybe justification encompasses both is justification just the stage of saying okay now you've got Jesus' righteousness so i'm going to justify you on that basis or is the or is justification itself the 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 crediting in the first sense mm-hmm. um, I, w- I wonder whether it might be just because of the way that paul goes to psalm 32 and there's that idea of blotting out sins and so the accounting thing is there but but you're right, I think that would need more follow artwork work to, to, to establish. Yeah, yeah. It, it does
0: make sense of Paul's order, though. So that, that, that is, Paul doesn't give us a systematic theology where he starts with union with Christ. Union with Christ mm. comes in terms of how he describes things, it comes later. And so while it's foundational, actually it's justification, which is uh, which is where he, he goes to to begin with. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, no, I'm not wanting to take a view on... Justification being prior to union with Christ. I don't think oh, I no, can... sorry. No I, don't, no, I don't even mean that. No, I'm not saying it's prior. Okay. Uh, all I'm saying is that,
0: um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, maybe it's too late to, to say. Well, all I'm saying is there's, there's something bigger about justification that means that, for example, in Galatians, Paul really <laughs> sees it as incredibly important. Even when it's a dispute yeah. over food and who's eating with whom, um, he actually brings in justification as 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 the core as to, to yeah. why it is a problem, uh, and yeah. then in Romans, uh, as he discusses these things, he starts by discussing justification, which yeah yeah it's not that it's it's more foundational than union with Christ. It's just more that it's it's something that's that's that God's doing um, that is that is key. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I think I, 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 I'm... I, 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 it matters. It really does. I mean, we've speak, been speaking about this yes. for a long time. No, I've really loved this discussion, and the um, mm, great yeah. thing about these chats is that there's no rules, and I, I, I'm just having chats with people, and so um, they can go on for as long as they, they like, and there's no... Yeah, you know, it's been nearly two hours. I just it. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um, and so maybe... Well you're Well done not, if you're still listening. Exactly. That's right.
1: <laughs> maybe listening. I'll... We'll put know you really
0: was directed at you. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Oh, well, likewise, we, we both are. But, uh, but at the same time, it it really does matter. It's not something that mm. um uh, and, and Luther's insight about the church uh, standing or collapsing, uh, in in, uh, in light of this doctrine is there's really something to that. And so we it is worth having these discussions, even though mm. we've got to Hebrew verbs and, and, and great detail about things uh it's it's definitely worth having that so um mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to continuing and, and thinking about many things that you have raised and yeah it's been been really helpful yep,
1: uh, likewise. yeah likewise
0: and very important for our pre- preaching of the gospel uh that we get this right and help people Indeed. to have i mean we didn't actually say this right at the start I so right at the end it's incredibly important for our assurance of salvation to know mm-hmm. that when as we stand before god uh, God's acceptance of us is not on the basis of our good moral qualities. Uh, that God wants us to do what is right, but that's not the basis of our acceptance before Him and our justification before Him. It is actually uh, the righteousness uh, of, of Christ, or, or uh, mm-hmm. it is His justification of us, uh, even though we are sinners. And that's a great assurance to us uh, as Christians uh, and very important. So. Uh, can I uh, we'll finish up? Why, why don't we pray?
1: Um, yeah, great idea.
0: Yeah. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you as those who, though uh, we sin and though uh, we are people who are not in ourselves, uh, possessors of any righteousness that we can claim uh, that would make you favorable to us in eternity. We thank you that we can be confident of that righteousness, of that justification. Uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd help us to hold on to it, help us to understand it more and more, uh, to grow in our understanding of it and to teach it to others. Uh, And we do pray that you would continue to bring that uh, assurance and uh, that that would uh, enable us to, on on the basis of that assurance, to live for you, uh, to work for you. Please help us in that by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Lionel. Good to chat.
0: You've been listening to Isochats Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing us and please review and rate the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so others get to hear about it too. Video versions are available on YouTube, or on my website at lionelwindsor.net You might also like to check out another podcast I've created called Lift Your Eyes, a series of 70 reflections on Ephesians. By the way, the name for this podcast was created by Adelaide Windsor. The theme music was written and performed by me and Harry Windsor, and the cover art was designed by Ellie Windsor. Love their work. Thanks for listening.